This is Music Ed Amplified. Wait a second. Are you a music teacher officially on summer break? Or just about there? Or like me, are you stuck in the fifth ring of It's Never Going to End Purgatory? (laughs) Either way, you've made it here to the Music Ed Amplified podcast, where we talk about life and music ed, as well as the journey to create a more diverse, equitable world for music students. My name is Missy Strong, and I'm the host. I'm glad to have you here, and especially glad that you get to hear from today's guest, Karen Howard. Dr. Karen Howard is an author, professor, choral conductor, clinician, and the facilitator of the Smithsonian Folkways Certificate Course in World Music Pedagogy at the University of St. Thomas. She works with music educators to diversify repertoire and pedagogical strategies and has presented at the national and international levels on topics like children's music culture, ethnomusicology, creative and folk dance traditions, early childhood music education, assessment, and curriculum development. She is also the editor of the series World Music Initiative through GIA Publications. Besides just wanting the chance to talk to her again, I also wanted to have Dr. Howard on the podcast to ask if she thought white teachers have made significant progress towards creating more inclusive, diverse, anti-racist, anti-bias, anti-ableist classrooms for students. I also wanted to talk about any progress she has noticed in our national music ed organizations. Her responses, as expected, are rich, nuanced, and informative. So let's get to it. Dr. Karen Howard, welcome back to Music Ed Amplified. Yay! Oh, very happy to be back. Thank you. (laughs) So I'm going to jump into my first question, which is kind of a callback to the first question I ever asked um, on this very podcast because you were on (laughs) the first episode. Uh, Back then, I asked you (laughs) what, what it was that you thought were the biggest challenges um, in the music classroom at that moment when it came to issues of racism, diversity, inclusion. Um, And my question for you today is, do you feel like we have made, you know, significant progress since 2020? Um, Here we are in 2022. Um, What things strike you as uh, frighteningly similar Uh, to two years ago, and what new things have kind of risen up, and and have we made real gains? That's a great question, and I I wish that I could confidently say that in that critical two years, uh, just about um, approaching two years, that things were dramatically different. I don't know that I would say that. Um, I don't think that I'm seeing that. I think what is different, what is different is that many of our colleagues from the from POC community are finding platforms open to them that were not before. And I think that's something to celebrate. That's something I see on a daily basis, just about some people that we're doing wonderful work and and not really being acknowledged for what they might bring to the broader conversation. And those people are now being sought out on a regular basis and kind of um, steering 
some conversations. And I think that's long overdue. Um, but yet at the same time, I celebrate that and I, I try to participate in that. I see some of these people being invited for their blackness or their yeah. brownness right. or their Asianness, where I'm never invited anywhere because of my whiteness. Um, mm. Although maybe I need to think about that, right? right, right. <laughs> I, I realize that that might be a double answer sure. that I just said. But what I mean is nobody says to me, can you come here and talk to us about uh, white traditions and white pride, whatever that would right. be. I wouldn't right. even know how to answer that. I wouldn't know how to do that. But, um, and, and so I guess I, yes, coming to the table, these expert voices and passionate ideas and, and fresh to, to many of us takes on things. And yet I feel like we're still essentializing what many people have to bring to the table mm -hmm. by only seeing them, by the color of the skin of their skin or by what their first language might be mm -hmm. or um, rather than the totality. So, th so this is, this is part of your identity. What's the, you know, what, who right. are you in your entirety? And so I, I, I hope that is part of the continuing path forward um, that we don't require people to, Again, if somebody asked me, I don't know what I would respond with, yeah. right? And it goes back to I often say, well, what if we, what if we had instead of Black History Month, what if we had White History Month? Then maybe I'd be really busy during that month, right? 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 Talking to people about I don't really know what it means, <laughs> but but thank you for the invitation, right? Right. So, um, I I that's big and long overdue. But yet, even during that time period, we saw it sort of shift. And when there was the the hate attack that took lives in the Asian American community, mm. then we saw yet another step. Okay, and then we started asking some of our Asian Pacific Islander colleagues and friends, "Can you come forward and speak and help us understand?" And so we seem to need to be reminded and pulled right in the worst kinds of ways the word yeah in the worst kinds of ways um and i'm saying we i'm I, the people that are listening won't see but i'm pointing at myself right. meaning those of us in the white community or teaching in the way that has been perpetuated and and kept in practice which has a which has a lot of positive traits to it um but it is short-sighted it's narrow mm -hmm. narrow uh, narrow vision tunnel vision yeah I, I do see some progress as far as people being willing to say something if something seems off either in repertoire or pedagogical choice or a textbook in a class. You know, I'm encouraging my graduate students and the teachers that come to St. Thomas to work with us. I'm encouraging them, look, even if it's with a colleague of mine that I have lunch with and you see something that's going in the way that we're talking, say something. Mm. Um, and, and so I do see a bit more willingness, um, but I'm still seeing and hearing lots of resistance to the idea that music is more than sound. Mm. Um, and I, I'm pretty regularly on the road working with people. And so it's, a, it, it's, a, it's not as though I'm drawing this perspective just from one day. It's right. from the last couple of years of really trying to move the conversation forward and then being invited places where 
there's legislation being put in place to not talk about mm. race. And yes. so then I'm asked to, would you just teach the songs? Right. Right. And I'm trying yeah. to find how to disrupt without being kicked out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I need to get yeah. to the airport. Right. So it's, it's been an interesting, it's been an interesting, even as of the last month, an interesting stretch. Yeah. What are you finding? And this kind of goes into the next question I have for you, um, because we talked about decentering whiteness in that episode, the premiere episode, which is even saying that, and we discussed this back then, is I don't know why, but I do know why. Why am I saying that? It just makes people super upset. And one thing I'm just starting to learn about experientially is the coddling of white people. So my, my question to you is, are you feeling this pushback as much less what do you think is going on with white teachers karen howard please would you yeah. answer for all white teachers <laughs> yeah okay well as we know i can't right i, I can't but, but i can answer for what i see mm-hmm. with the many that i work with and as i am one right um i i am seeing about I mean, again, I haven't collected any data, so I, I'm, I'm hesitant to even. It's all anecdotal. We'll put that there. Yeah, I, I, I don't. And in fact, I would say I'm getting more pushback mm. because there are parts of the country that are actively trying to legally push back yeah. against the simplest efforts to diversify curriculum. And, you know, I don't know where I read this. I can't take credit for it. But, you know, once the whole critical race theory disastrous right. misunderstanding came about, I read somewhere and I use this now, which is if you can tell me what it is, I won't teach it because yes. it's pushing back against something that most people, most people, unless mm-hmm. they are a race scholar at a graduate level, yeah. Don't actually know what that means. And can't articulate even can't close. articulate it. But the one of the main tenets of that, which is that the education system in the US is based on white practices mm-hmm. and it is white supremacy that holds that in place. I think there has been permission to push back against that. So yeah. um and and to my surprise, my surprise, no, I was a little disheartened when it's coming from young white teachers yeah, because somehow I have this ageism going on right. where I think, well, surely the younger folks <laughs> that's, are not. I think that's what we want to hope. We want to hope. And, and I, you know, I, I, I now, maybe now, maybe I'm to the point where it, it doesn't make me nervous anymore because it happens everywhere mm-hmm. that somebody isn't comfortable with the way I'm situating music or what I'm asking them to be accountable to, um, or the way I orient stories about music, uh, or the way I insist on removal of certain musics, right? When we know better, we're really expected to do better. Um, And that I won't engage in any of the, but Stephen Foster and I am, I'm pretty far past that, but fortunately I seem to be past the part that makes me nervous because then that interferes with my effectiveness and it ages me, right? It it (laughs) takes a toll, but also it's not about me. So when I, their, their negativity it may be aimed at me, the pushback might be aimed at me, but what they're actually upset about 
is not about me. So I was able to separate that a little bit. It gave me a little, I would say an easier rebound, (laughs) shall we say, when there is pushback. So something that I've actually not seen until this last year, after all this critical race theory I don't kerfuffle. I don't know right. what to call it except a total misrepresentation Debacle. of what it actually is. Um, <laughs> is white people speaking up when it's not a white affinity space? That's right. that's new to me that they would be so emboldened right. as to not take heed or read the room or or realize that what they are saying to me is deeply, deeply harmful to some other people in the room. And so, um, you know, that that's an experience I had recently. And I, I, I just stayed in my body and firmly talking to these two young teachers that were kind of tag teaming. Right. Uh, you know, and I had been asked by the people who invited me, don't go there. Really? And I thought after a little while, I thought, your people are going yeah, there. So what are you I supposed to do? Follow the yellow brick roads. <laughs> Off I go. They I'm left just breadcrumbs. I'm just answering. I'm like they're banging the race gong. Right. And and at the same time, I do think, I do think that it is great to get people saying the word race, talking about race, uh, but yet diversity is far more than race. And so, mm. in some ways, I feel that we've also been really stuck only talking about race, not necessarily making headway, and meantime, not addressing all of the other sorts of diversity, whether it's gender identity, whether it's class, whether it's uh, language, whether it's religion, whether it's able, you know, ability or disability, those all matter too in our, in our conversations about equity. And somehow we've spun it so that equity is hardcore about race right now, which moves us away from something we can actually do with ease, which is diversify our repertoire, right? Like we're not even there. We're not there yet. Uh, There are so many excited people doing really exciting, beautiful work. So having answered your question, I want to make sure that I balance it with, it it is a small, small amount of pushback that actually is encouraged to speak up. I presume that they represent other people, but I'm really focusing on these larger numbers that are feeling empowered. Um, I, I guess something that I can offer as a white person is modeling how to be comfortable moving my uh, moving my dominance, my cult, my race group's dominance aside, mm-hmm. even though I'm still the person delivering the instruction, right? Right, right. So there's decentering whiteness, and then there's how do you engage in that when you're white, which I know we talked about yeah. the last time. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think some people are starting to do baby steps or big steps or leaps, really exciting leaps in that area. And then we'll always have people that are brand new. While you and I are talking about this today, somebody is learning about racism for the first time and somebody will say that's impossible. And I'm telling you, it's no, not impossible. It's not impossible. <laughs> Grown, college-educated, graduate degree white people yes. are finding out right now in 2022 that racism is everywhere. I am, I am hopeful um, but I don't think the pandemic did us any favors in this regard. Right. I mean, it did us no favors, period. 
but I don't think it helped. I think we've gone backwards a little bit from where we might have been, were we not under such stressful teaching conditions and with so many teachers leaving and music teachers being asked to not teach music and to teach third grade, right. and, uh, you know, and hybrid teaching oh, crushed everybody's fault. We're just coming off of a three week teacher strike here in Minneapolis. Oh, I didn't know that. Spirits are very low. And, uh, you know, I, so I, I have all that in my mind. And, and what really does encourage me is when I'm talking to teachers after a workshop or when I get an email from somebody that just wants some help and I'm encouraged by their being brave enough to ask for help because I think about the number of people that would like help and, and can't find the way to ask somebody because they're embarrassed or, you know, and I would also say I, I probably monthly get emails from teachers, some white, some not, um, that are working to really make change in their music curriculum and their pedagogy and their languaging that they use in class. And they're having some pretty difficult experiences and they're writing to me, you know, what, what one, just to keep their anonymity, one teacher wrote to say that while teaching um, a song that is very important in the African-American community. I won't name the song. One of their longtime students filmed them. Oh. And the parents put it online and accused her of indoctrinating them. They were talking about anthems, you know. um, And so the betrayal that this person felt, this is, you know. uh, That's a lot. Or somebody else will write and say that they get a threat from a lawyer, a, a parent who is a lawyer, say again, this it's this indoctrination idea um, huh. that if you dare to speak about um, matters, particularly of race, but particularly uh, when it comes to blackness, right. that seems to really trigger some of the hateful behavior. Um, more so than if you're just trying, you know, if you're talking about Ukraine, right? Which, a lot to unpack there, but, or if you're talking about, um, because you could talk about Ukraine and you could talk about Mexico and you'll get two different reactions. Um, both countries desperately needing support in for certain people. Sure. For, for, I don't mean to categorize Mexico as in the right. same war ridden situation. Uh, yeah. So I, I, Oh, that's a lot. I think about, I think about this all the time and I, I'm encouraged by the conversations I hear people having, but I'm not, I'm not seeing what I dream will happen. I'm not seeing what I think our children deserve across the board. I think it's happening here or there. The other challenge, Missy, is that some people that come to my workshops, when I'm invited places, I'm invited to talk about these sorts of matters of diversity. So somebody can just opt out if that's, you know, if- Right. Right, it, and and those are the people I most want to talk to. <laughs> and I mean, I'll talk to anybody yeah. happily. Yes. I love being people. But the people no, that I, I really feel like, please, get, can we have some time together? Um, I was giving a workshop recently and I was with all of the elementary, choral, and a few of the band people. The string people were on the others, they were in the orchestra room on the other side. And at their break, they walked through the back to put the bases away. And I shouted out, 
diversity matters in orchestra too. (laughs) And they looked around. I said, come on. Right. And, you know, people kind of chuckled and they went away. And I said, I was serious. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that actually happened to me. I don't get, you know, I'm not an expert on these matters uh, at all. But I did some, a, a district, a district brought me in and there was one group who were like, they asked to be excused <laughs> because I was going to be talking about my path um, on, yeah. like as a new person on the road to anti-racism, anti-ableism, anti-bias. That was really interesting. And of course, again, I don't have any, you know, hard data, but I'm going to guess those people would have, it would have been an interesting conversation and probably unnecessary. Or it could also be that they think they already understand. Yeah. Well, good for them because I never feel like that. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Nor do I, nor do I. That's a great point. And, And yet I have had some people say to me when they do come around to making change in their programming, repertoire, thinking, language, that they'll say, I thought I was there. I thought I understood what was meant by diversity in education. And I keep saying diversity instead of anti-racism because I I think all of it is linked. We we won't truly be able to reach diversity if we have all these underlying isms that aren't being addressed. And I, I, I just had a conversation with somebody at a phone meeting where I, what I said was, I think you're conflating anti-racism with all of diversity. Right. And, and so the languaging, what we're talking about over here, we, it was a part of a DEI meeting. So we were talking about DEI matters and they were saying, I don't see how that's anti-racist or what. And so I said, I think you're thinking they're one word. Right. And so kind of, kind of ex- broke um, that down. Yeah, tried, tried to, and, and you know, back to your first question about what changes, I bet there are more DEI committees now <laughs> than at any time in ever. History. Um, in human history. However, the real question is, and there are, that people are already researching this, are they empowered to do anything? That is a, and by the way, I think you almost did that on purpose because that's my next question. What do you think? about what's going on, let's just limit it to our national music um, ed organizations or just education organizations. Mm -hmm. Um, What are you noticing? Because I'm going to be very honest. Uh, I just don't feel encouraged (laughs) by what I'm seeing. Um, And sometimes I worry, I I think maybe it's projection or whatever it is where I'm kind of like, am I like this? Am I doing this? (laughs) Because what I feel like I see is um, not a lot of transparency, if any, Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of throwing out of terms and Mm -hmm. of statements. Mm -hmm. Um, And then just something that personally is kind of burning me up lately, which is, um, and I know I'm way behind other people who have been doing this forever, but it's kind of like these words to me that are now, I really can't stand them, which is change takes time. And um, we want to do this right. This is a new thing that I'm kind of hearing. That's to me just code talk. Yes. Um, and to, in my estimation, it just feels like insulating what we've always done. 
we are in control of this. So I'm kind of like, you're kind of doing the the thing, ironically, in whatever you're saying you're doing to change the thing. So it's like, we want to do it right. So here's how we are controlling this. And here's how we are letting the information out. And here's how our... Are you seeing this same thing too? Um, and also, um, are you seeing organizations that you feel are kind of cutting edge um, who are going beyond performative action and taking real steps um, to diversify? Because like, I just feel like I'm seeing like these committees and yeah. and the as you asked, the question is like, what kind of power have you given yes. to these committees? Who's sitting on this committee? Who is controlling the committee? And I'm not liking the answers or lack thereof. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, I, I would say I'm seeing the same thing, including two days ago on a meeting, that very <laughs> phrase, almost verbatim. No. Change takes time was said um, uh, in, in response to a committee that I'm on. And we were trying to make a very small change, but to some people, it's a monumental change. And the change we're trying to make is to back up the statement that we wrote. I mean, it's We wrote a statement. We said, we're going to do this. Now, we're, how do we, we do it? Do. We have to do some of the things on here. <laughs> and this is one of the things. So change takes time. So I hear I hear that often, but I will say um, there are there are some groups. And since I'm saying supportive things, I'd love to name the ones yes. I think are doing some great work. Okay, I think, and I can't I can't believe I'm saying this, but I am. I think ACDA, the American Choral Directors Association, has been hustling hard through their diversity initiatives committee and through some groundwork of some people where, now it's it's an enormous organization. So has the top shifted yet? No, but there's a groundswell within the group. That's awesome. And their last regional conference was dramatically different and people were celebrating that online. Yes, I saw some of that. Yeah, so, um, I, and part of that was in, response to the last two years, but it was also in response to a failed response by um, uh, my, my home, my former home state of Connecticut, um, a very, very poorly handled oh, yes. um, situation last summer. And again, advocacy and persistent, relentless online and public dealing, forcing the right. issue into Pressure. the light has actually made some dramatic changes. Yeah. Um, I also know that the American North Schulwerk Association um, a couple of years ago brought in the magnificent, for those who might not know her, Dr. Nicole Robinson. And, and she has over the last couple of years, a hyphenated name, I'd have to look it up, but Nicole Robinson with her business cultural connection by design. Mm. And she is a music educator. She was a, a university professor specializing in um, cultural identity work um, and diversity matters. And they brought her into the board, the executive board a couple of years ago. Whoa. 
And then we're so excited about their work that then she started working with the next tier. And as we know, those of us involved in organizations, they are these multi-leveled organizations. So it has not yet made it down to the levels instructors. They're aware of the conversations. They're waiting for what do the above levels decide and how is that going to trickle down? Um, so it's, it's, it's not fast enough, in my opinion, um, which, as you said, some organizations say we want to do it right. I think get everybody rolling at once. Right. Let's go. And we'll make some mistakes. We'll make some mistakes, but better mistakes made in this direction Absolutely. than the ones we've been making, which is performing harmful material, right. um, appropriating material without honoring uh, the origins, refusing to have complicated conversations, right? Uh, uh, these exoticizing, tokenizing, Mm -hmm. whatever it might be that we've been doing. So one of my efforts has been anything that I'm involved in, I just go straight to the people. So, you know, I'm as part of my work on our diversity committee, I'm going directly to the people that are in our levels program saying, here's what our commitment is. And I realize you're still, you're waiting for, Mm -hmm. and, and, Fortunately for us, they're already engaged. Like, yeah, we've already been talking. We're That's looking great. at our sources. We're looking at what we're asking people to purchase. We're, we're you know, they're, they're not waiting. Right. Um, but we have other organizations, including at the national level, um, that that's their purpose really is more of a monetary lobbying marketing hmm. Um, so and, um, that their purposes go towards lobbying, marketing, political agendas. Teaching is political. I mean, there's no way around that. But what I mean is our our largest music educator organization, right. um, that they don't seem to consider that, as they've said in multiple meetings on, on the record, they don't find that to be their responsibility. It's up to the states. Which is why I'm I'm always getting on the horn about Minnesota. I'm like, well, then let's shake it up in right. Minnesota. Right, let's let's. This is where I am now. Or I was shouting yeah. back to Connecticut when right. that went wrong. You know, right. let's let's okay. Then if you're saying it's up to the state, then let's empower these new equity chairs. Because, for example, in Minnesota, our equity chair on the executive board of our MEA does not have voting privileges. So. <laughs> Yes, we want your advice, but it doesn't mean we're going to do anything. Right. But me, you don't have any power to change anything. No, you don't. And and to me, that seemed a, a, a wasted effort on somebody really gifted and passionate right. and giving of their time, volunteering their time only to have their expertise ignored or not have a vote. Right. So um, Minnesota, I'm, I'm talking to you there. <laughs> and I'm sure that's happening in other states as well. Yeah. And I mean, that's what I mean about insulating white. I mean, it's, it's the most, to me, egregious kind of gatekeeping. It's yes. like saying, well, we're doing something, but please just do it exactly how we want you to do it. And please don't tell anyone uh, this, you know, what we're talking about. You know, because yeah. that to me is just so immediately suspect. Yes. Um, I, I would say I don't understand it, but I, more like it is frustrating. Yeah, yeah. I, I just recently I said to somebody, I hear you saying that you don't understand. I hear you saying that repeatedly. How about if we try this? Tell me what you do understand right. about diversity matters, <laughs> right. and then I'll know where to meet you. Yeah. Because I. I, I, yeah, we want to have a conversation. Let's, let's do it and stop. I don't know. I, 
I've just been hearing um, some different people talking about, you know, what does it mean to have a seat at a table, you know, at the table, excuse me, you know, this very famous phrase. Um, maybe we just need to destroy the table and build a new table or build something yeah. completely new. As you talked about state MEAs, do you have any kind of steps or advice for people who are like, I want to do more. I just don't know exactly what to do because I'm not going to go be like, oh, put me on your DEI you know, committee or whatever. Right. What can right. a, a quote unquote regular teacher like me, what can we do? Sure. Uh, I I think well it's kind of a multi pronged question so I'll start answering yes. it and then my friend come back to the other see side. where see where it takes please us. tell me yeah um, I think one of the hardest parts of this work especially if we're talking about white teachers is that you have to become okay with some people not liking you for the very fact that you're trying to do this work for the very fact that you think it matters to program music so that your children are seen, um, that, that you think it's important that you bring the stories of the history of, right? That, that you're really creating a world. There are going to be people that simply won't like you and that, that has to not matter. And, and many elementary teachers <laughs> share a sensitivity and people pleasing yes. gentleness about them. So, so that's, that's one of the first things I, I would suggest is toughening the skin. But I also would say, and I'm trying to think about how to explain this two years ago, almost uh, after George Floyd's murder, when so many white people got activated, mm. they got activated and jumped before they had their shoes tied, I guess. Right, right. <laughs> And we're, we're inadvertently kind of slopping things around. And I did just say, let's get everybody going at once. But what I mean is people went from zero to 100, right. which is, you know, all the music is racist and, you know, burn the system down and smash the patriarchy. Yeah, I'm, I'm for all of that. But you, you, you. We have to acknowledge that we teach in, a, in this ecosystem that is running, right? And if we right. just go in and jam a ruler in there, it's going to fall apart. So there's, I'm not at all saying take time or don't disrupt. I'm saying do it mindfully. Yes. Do it thoughtfully. Don't don't come in the next day, you know, or the, the first day back or if you read something and then without having a group, a support group where you brainstorm, how did you, how did this go when you, when you brought this piece in, how did you approach it when you took that piece out, when you were midway through a piece for choir and discovered this and you yanked it, how did you answer the phone calls, right? So creating, yeah. when I say affinity group, um, yes, perhaps by race, but more so an affinity group of people who are doing this work. Yes. Um, and I don't mean protesting or I, I mean that are working toward creating actual diversity. You know, what I think of now is realizing diversity in their in their teaching. Mm -hmm. You need people that understand that you can go to even if you're the only music teacher in your town and you're at a K to 12 school. Find somebody who is also at a setting like that so that you can reach each other. And I'm thinking about Vince Bates, who's a, a white music educator. He's at Weber University 
in Utah. And he does a lot of work about um, poor, rural, and white in music education, right? Okay. And so he would want to make sure that if you're, you know, not to necessarily think about, well, I teach in a rural white area, this doesn't matter. He would say, in fact, that that is a branch of diversity that needs to be honored and thought about and taught, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm thinking about the whole range of, of classrooms here, which is know your community, start, start within why, you know, rather than all of a sudden tomorrow, I know I'm thinking about, I have a sign about George Floyd in my front yard. Would I go in the next day and pop that up in my classroom? And, right, right. You know, I, I don't know. I, I mean, yes, in my home, but I have to think about, I navigate situations at work, right? right. And as people navigate with me as well, it's, it's, it, you can sense, I'm sure they're like, oh, what's Karen going to say about this? So <laughs> I, I realized that and I've accepted that that comes with this, which is that I just can't allow myself to be gaslighted yep. um, when we're talking about things that are the rights of people, our colleagues, our community members, our students, their parents, future students, the people our white students go out and interact with in the world. It's their right to be equipped to be caring and knowledgeable and curious and to have empathy about other sounds and ways mm -hmm. and to think that it's awesome right. <laughs> to be engaged in something different. I don't know what I would do without having a group of people that I can talk about these things mm -hmm. with. And, and recently I was with, there was a, well, there was a group of eight of us that are all involved in this work. And we hadn't all been in the same room right. since COVID. And what we all felt was such relaxation and ease to know that it was a table of people who were working toward the same uplift of yeah. their fellow humans right. and working toward the celebration and honoring and, and recognition of all of these amazing things related to our work to, to know that you didn't have to defend. Yeah. Or, I was just going to say that you could be celebrate or not you, but the work can be spoken about honestly. Yeah. And not like a, you're ready for a fight. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, and, and I was thinking that, you know, for those who might be listening um, about, uh, that are white and it's not directly answering. It's, it's okay. It's, keeps coming back into my mind that if somebody from an oppressed group tells you something, whether you agree or not, even if it's really obvious that it's incorrect, you know, if they're accusing you of something or saying something, if a, if somebody, if a, if a person of color or from any marginalized group right. comes to you as a white person, especially for our cis white males that are listening or just let's just say white males, right? Um, listen, yeah, and and act instead of digging in and and trying to you know if somebody if somebody tells you that something has the potential to be harmful, that something has the potential to hurt, it isn't our it isn't appropriate for white people to then make the case for why you could make it not so bad. Right. By changing the words, by I, I, somebody just asked me recently at a workshop when it comes to blackface songs, which 
like I said before about somebody learning about racism in 2022, right. I finished a study this last year, three out of 12 choral directors, all 35 to 50 years of age, three had never heard of blackface songs, never heard of them before the situation that prompted the study. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it. I, I was going somewhere with that and it had to do, oh, it, discussing the removal of blackface songs. And a white, a young white teacher said to me, well, let's say in two years that we succeed and they're all gone. And I thought, oh, bless your little right. baby teacher heart. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I almost giggled because I thought that's the sweetest, that, impossible thing I ever heard. Quaint. <laughs> but I thought that's so lovely. And, I, and it really warmed my heart that that she thought it could even be possible. And then she said, so say we we succeed and they're gone from the curriculum, where do they go? Are they just gone? And for me, that was a reminder of how compartmentalized thinking can be for some people. Yeah. That she was actually spending time concerned with, if I remove a harmful song, what, what happens, happens to the, the song? song? It was almost more concern about the yes, song yes. than about the, the the child or whatever age student yeah. or, or colleague or right. family member in the audience, right? So um again, I'm 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 ne- I'm I'm no longer surprised anymore. Um and and that which is why I started by saying I don't know that we're making that progress. What I know is that perhaps a real difference is if you're persistent and kind of relentless about it, people no longer have the right to say, we can't talk about that unless yes. you're in states. Yeah. And then you just have to get crafty. Right. I and mean, I have to get crafty and think about how to say what I was saying without saying it. Right, right, right. Ridiculous. Um, and then I thought, am I, am I a fake here am I going and I thought no I am sweating like literally sweat hair right dripping sweat I could feel it going plunk plunk because I was working so hard to not get kicked out right by saying what I thought I needed to say without saying certain words in in a certain way like white right (laughs) but that's the place where then it came up from them and I thought you said it right I didn't I'm say just it. like I said, I'm just you responding. Said <laughs> you said white people. Yes, so exactly. I'm gonna follow you. You, you oh my word. Decode. So I would like to talk about, or I would like you to tell me about this Smithsonian Folkways World Music yes. Pedagogy course. Um and you told me a little bit about it before we started, but I don't almost don't know anything. So Talk me into going to this course, if I could. Oh, let, let me try. Okay. <laughs> so about 12 years ago, the esteemed and my beloved mentor, Patricia Sheehan Campbell, and Christopher Roberts and Amanda Soto started the first uh, iteration of a uh, collaboration through the Smithsonian Folkways Archive, which was started by Moses Ash back in 1948 as Folkways Records. Um, and... Uh, Smithsonian Folkway Certificate Course in World Music Pedagogy started to help music teachers. We also get uh, social studies teachers, language teachers, um, ESL teachers that come figure out meaningful ways to work with this 70 years of material in the archive. Mm. Uh, so the Smithsonian Institution took over, the fo- to, saved really Folkway's records from going under a while back. 
And the, the course was created to um, emphasize the importance of working with people that are performing music of their own culture, that you work with folks, uh, and people like me that study deeply the music of another culture, mm -hmm. that you learn about music not only as sound, but as the people, the stories, right, the sociocultural reality of the music, and to engage with this archive and to create then meaningful lessons for your own teaching situation based on these materials. It has expanded. So uh, my alma mater, University of Washington is sort of our home base. And then I facilitate the course at, uh, it's a full course at St. Thomas with uh, University of St. Thomas in St. Paul, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, and it's a full week. It's 40 hours. Um, in person this year. In, in, we're in person. Yes. Some of the other ones are online. All of that information can be found at uh, folkways.si.edu. SI as in Smithsonian Institution. If you go under the Learn tab, it lists uh, the status of the courses. So we are in person. Last year, we were about 45 people. Um when we thought the pandemic was ending. And uh, that, that was back then. Back in the old days. Yeah, so I'm the main facilitator and I um, talk about matters of diversity, matters of equity in music education, anti-bias education. And then I do some specific uh, culture topics depending on who the rest of the roster is. So um, I'm just finishing this year's roster, but I can tell you last year's roster uh, included our Javanese Gamelan instructor, Joko Sutrisno. We do have a whole Javanese Gamelan as um, Siyama Matuzungiri, who's from the Congo, and Dallas Johnson do a session on Congolese music, uh, particularly Sukus. Um, Tim O'Keefe, the Irishist, I know it's not a word, but he's the <laughs> Irishist man you can know, um, but he's also an expert in Arabic music. So he wow. does an intro to the Arabic maqams, which are the scales, and to um, some basic uh, rhythms, the belly dance rhythms on, on Dungbek, which I'm airplaying here. Um, and then we had the wonderful Jasmine Fripp gave hey. her first her first in-person workshop last year, Yay, um, her work as a passionate Black educator. And it was a, a, pro a profound experience that I don't think any of us will forget. Um, we also had Nissa Brown uh, from Music Ed Forward uh, talking about her um, experiences in Namibia and South Africa and the children that taught her some uh, children's singing games from there. Uh, and in the past, we've had other topics as well. Um, there are more uh, people coming this summer. Oh, we also have Fodi Bangora, who used to be the lead djembe player for the National Ballet of Guinea. And when I say wow. ballet, I don't mean Western European ballet. Ballet in many countries means the folkloric dance of the country. So he was the lead djembe player for the um, National Ballet of Guinea wow. in West Africa. So he and his wife come and do a session. Um, and then everybody does a, a project where they pick a cult music culture and they focus in on, on that culture. And we all, everybody does presentations for each other. We do talk about all kinds of things. Um, it's an intense jam packed week that people can take for credit or they can audit. Um, and since I've started doing these other publications, a lot of that is, is woven in as well. So now we're starting to talk about world music initiative projects in that class as well. And everything is, we're, we're creating this 
big family of people that are really trying to, you know, as, as our beloved Gandhi said, to be the change, right? We, you can't be anti anything without action. Just right. thinking it in your head doesn't make you anti anything. Yeah. It makes you complacent. And people don't like that word, but maybe that not liking it will provoke to action. Yeah. You don't like being called complacent, then giddy up. Let's go. Then don't be complacent. Don't be complacent. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel a meme coming up. <laughs> um, well, and, and before we go, tell me about the newest um, yes. book from the uh, World Music initiative right world music yeah. initiative series yeah world music initiative which from we gia through gia thank you for having oh, faith GIA. in us gia our team is so amazing there as you know missy yes. um and again we picked up where world music press left off with judith cook tucker's blessing and our aim is to you know i'll just briefly say the whole name world music is problematic but it's what we're going to use until all music yeah. actually has an opportunity to, to be present. And, and the, this series is meant to uplift systemically, not systematically, systemically, right. system-wide marginalized and underrepresented music traditions. So the, the latest book is a collaboration between myself and Dr. Kedman Mapana from the University of Dar es Salaam in Tanzania. It's called Harambe, which means, it means a few different things. Right. We used it here, the definition of coming together to sing and dance and celebrate. Love it. So it's a collection of uh, songs and games and chants from Tanzania. Okay. Uh, that just came out in mid-February. All right. Yeah. Um, Is, can you then, talk about what's coming next or? Yeah. What's coming next should be, if I hustle, <laughs> um, a book from me. Uh, the working title is Realizing Diversity, colon, an equity framework for music education. Wow. And um, it's with permission from another important organization, learningforjustice.org. Yes. They've I love given their work. Permission, yeah. They've given me permission to use their social justice standards in a book geared towards music education. So oh, fantastic. Um, it's, it gives a brief history of why are we still having to have the same conversation? <laughs> um, there's a whole chapter about um, uh, repertoire selection. I call it interrogating the ritual because I mm. think that whole repertoire selection process is where we keep getting stuck. And then it's about, there's a chapter about identity, diversity, justice, and action. And then ending with a, how does that get us toward a critical consciousness, which is what Paulo Freire was talking about um, in Brazil in the 1960s, which inspires me on a regular basis. The next book after that, depending on when man the manuscripts are finished, there will be one from um, Korsha Hassan, who was Minnesota Teacher of the Year last year. She's a Somali American elementary school teacher and awesome. Becca Buck, um, an elementary music teacher uh, on Somali uh, children's songs and games collected right here in Minnesota from our Somali community. Um, and then there's another book coming, um, Music of the Levant, which is Persia, Iran, Turkey, Jordan. That's with uh, Joan Littman and Wasim Ibrahim and others. That one's coming along. Um, there's another book coming um, of Korean Samal Nori percussion along oh, cool. with Korean folk dance by a team in Korea. Love um, it. Yeah. And we just had our first choral octavo come out. I just got it a couple days ago. 
of Kwasi Dunyo, my teacher from Ghana, and I. Um, it's it's an arrangement of two Ghanaian folk songs that I I had just been providing individually, but now it's right. actually officially out with it looks like all the other octavos with a beautiful green cover. Congratulations. Um, yeah. So. That's exciting. I have a huge smile on my face for many reasons. I'm In my mind, I'm already like, oh, here's the people I can recommend that to, and I want to read that, and I want to... Yes. Oh, and I don't want to forget, because since I talked to you last, after the Dance Like a Butterfly book, a really important book, I think, uh, came out. It was the second book in the series yes. called Voice Collectors. Mm -hmm. It's Songs and Stories from China by Dr. Uh, Le Zhang and Dr. Sarah Watts. They spent about five years uh, collecting these songs from 35 different uh, Chinese musicians from mm -hmm. different ethnic groups, different languages. Yeah. Um, it's it's beautifully illustrated by a Chinese um, uh, painter that they commissioned original paintings for each song. Wow. They've even written a, so they give all this beautiful information. They interview each singer and then they even wrote, here's how to summarize all that in a child-friendly story. Right? Oh, so they, wow. It's a beautiful book. That's Voice Collectors, also through GIA. Mm. Wow. I, I, feel, I feel a phone call to GIA coming for a little giveaway. <laughs> yes oh my they're word. so supportive yeah they're so supportive I call out publishers all the time and I feel like GIA has taken a chance yep on this and I don't know if there was a certainty past the first steps in global music book right um, but then when they saw that it's possible and that that one has all kinds of bumps and bruises you know a learning curve for me putting sure. these things together um, but we're getting better with each publication. Well, I want to thank you for two things. First of all, no, I want to thank you for three things. <gasps> three. That's right. Thank <laughs> you for just personally, um, you're a very busy human. So I appreciate that you're there for me. Like when I reach out and say, is this okay? Or did I do this wrong? Or how can I? So thank you, um, especially, you know, from one uh overly busy powerhouse woman to another. I appreciate those pockets of time. Two, <laughs> thank you for uh, being here again. Uh, there's just so much to mine, even in this one conversation. Uh, I hate to break it to you, but you're going to have to come back another time. And, oh, <laughs> and three, thank you very much uh, for the work that you're doing in its totality. Uh, which is just incredibly important. And thank you for helping younger teachers, younger teachers. That made it sound like you're old and you're not old. No, young, I am. Somebody called me mama recently. Oh, boy. But so no, cute. thank you. Thank you for what is difficult, I can only imagine, work and for keeping going. If, if I could say one last thing, yes, which please. is... You don't have to be the person who fixes racism. Right. Thankfully. You just have to be a music educator that sends human beings forward into the world. And through their time with you, part of their music education was the joy of learning about other musical practices and other people and other ways and about themselves. Yes, yes. That's, it's, that's it. That's it. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> so teachers keep doing that good work because yes. it yes. ain't easy right now. 
And especially if you're a new teacher. Oh, my oh, goodness. You poor babies. Hang in there. <laughs> yes. Don't leave unless you really need to. Then go ahead and leave. I get it. But if you can hang no, in there. No, I know. I know. that. Uh, maybe we can get them a, a beverage. Yes. Well, my my newest joke is maybe I need to work at Chipotle because at Chipotle, they give you a burrito every day. I'm like, nobody's giving me a burrito. Do they really? Do they really? Yeah. They you, if you're that? working, you get a burrito. Maybe oh you get a burrito bowl. I don't know. But anyway, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. Oh, well, you're welcome. Thank you. I anyway. love you. Oh, thank you. I love you too. <laughs> you don't have to be the music educator who saves racism. You know, so many of us got activated after the murder of George Floyd, and rightly so. We went from zero to 160 seconds. And I think so many of us weren't sure what to do after things got more quiet. But we cannot stop. We have to keep taking real steps forward and we must do it thoughtfully and intentionally. So much to chew on in that conversation, including the idea that we probably have more DEI committees than ever. But do they have real agency and real power to get the work done by the people who have formed them? It's a great question. Talking to Dr. Karen Howard is always a privilege. She reminds me to be purposeful in this work, to be thoughtful as well as passionate, and to make sure I am putting my professional priority on students while also not allowing myself to become complacent. Thank you, Dr. Howard, again for being on the podcast and for your own multiple efforts to make the educational world a better place and for inspiring me to try to do the same. For questions about the podcast, write to docstrong at gmail.com or reach out to Music Ed with Missy on Facebook or Instagram or on Twitter at docstrong26. Our podcast music was composed and performed by Jeremy and Owen Strong. Jeremy also serves as the audio engineer and editor for the podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and rate it wherever you listen, which is the best way for us to get the word out. Thank you for spending time with me. You are a busy person and life as always is demanding so much from you. I hope it was worthwhile and that you are motivated to reflect on your own philosophy and practice. I hope to see you next time, but until then, keep doing all you can to create a more musical, joyful, thoughtful, just world for your students, families, and community.